Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Right now, we are really going to dive into not only the market response, but what the market is saying to the Fed. With us is Michael Darda of MKM uh, Partners. His work, particularly on demand and supply dynamics across the greater economy out of Wisconsin, or near legendary for such a young guy. And we're going to talk to him now because he is an outlier with Mr. Kochalakota of Minnesota on what a Fed needs to do. And Michael, your basic theme is it's not a Fed in a static environment. This is dynamic economics and Kochalakota is correct. They've got a cut because it's a moving target right now for the Fed on real rates. That's exactly right, Tom. So um, by new by doing nothing, the central banks are doing something. They're actually allowing monetary conditions to tighten uh, because if you have a big shock to confidence and the neutral interest rate collapses <clears throat> and central banks stay steady with the policy rate, that's effectively a tightening of monetary policy. How do we know that's the case? Look at the bond market. Look at inflation expectations. They're plunging. If this were a first-order textbook supply-side shock, inflation expectations would be going up as real rates fell. That is not what's happening. So, yes, the first-order effect is a supply-side shock from the coronavirus, but the second-order effect can be a monetary shock if central banks don't respond to this in a timely enforceable Beautifully fashion. explained, but then go to the x-axis and take the partial differential of the time function across those first and second order functions. The answer is nobody's talking about the sequential path of when the disinflation clicks in. Is it weeks, months, or do we have to wait quarters for the evidence for them to move? Yeah, I said this last year when the Fed was presiding over an inverted yield curve, and my view was they really need to act sooner rather than later and much more forcefully rather than in a tepid fashion. The longer they wait, the more they'll have to do and the less effective it will likely be uh, because they're allowing a situation in which the neutral interest rate is moving down. You know, this happened in 2008 when the Fed got so distracted fighting the financial crisis, they forgot about monetary policy. The neutral interest rate collapsed through the floor. The Fed was late and nominal GDP went off a cliff. By definition, if you have a nominal GDP shock, monetary policy failed. So the first order of business is to avoid that outcome. Mike, what I hear from you, though, is that the most important thing for them to do is manage financial conditions. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, financial conditions are sort of, uh, you know, it's a bit of a slippery concept. And, you know, that's a byproduct uh, of, of a of a monetary shock taking place. And, and most people end up looking at the stock market. You know, a lot of these financial conditions indices are a little strange because sometimes they have interest rate levels in them and conditions then ease in the models if, you know, discount risk-free rates fall. And that may not actually be the proper way to, to think about this. Um, but if you have inflation expectations moving lower, Uh, Because you've had a shock, and that's associated with risk spreads widening and now a big plunge in equity prices. Yes, you can define that as a tightening in, in financial conditions. And so to stay neutral, policy rates need to come down. That's my point. By doing nothing, central banks are doing something. They're actually presiding over a tightening of monetary conditions, and that's how you end up creating a situation where 
um, you know, the coronavirus actually can morph into well, Mike, a potential global this. recession. How do lower rates cascade through an economy like the United States that could face a supply shock and a demand shock as well? In this environment, which is very, very unique, it's a health situation, a public health situation. How do lower rates cascade through the economy? Well, the markets are already doing it. But if the Fed does not follow suit and it's holding its policy rate above market rates, which is what's happening now, right? We've had a reinversion of the of the yield curve, the entire curve. The short dated curve was already inverted coming into the year. Now the ten year yield is plunged back below the the Fed funds rate and and the T bill rate. Um, so that tells you that the Fed is actually holding interest rates at levels that are too high for the economy to survive. Now, you know, some guests will come on here and say, oh, that doesn't matter. The yield curve doesn't matter anymore as an indicator. But take well, a look at business cycle history, and this is not something you want to play Russian roulette with. Right now, if you look at the Fed funds futures market, pricing mm -hmm. in almost four rate cuts by the end of January. To your point, <clears> just to put a number on the diminishing inflation expectations, the break-even rate right. uh, over the next five to 10 years has fallen to the lowest since 2016, 1.5% now, well below the 2% target of the Federal Reserve. I'm wondering if the Federal Reserve comes out and confirms market expectations for this many rate cuts, do you expect longer-term inflation expectations expectations to go up? You know, that is a great question. And that is basically the problem. And and so, you know, we came into this crisis with, you know, already low inflation expectations. Why is that the case? A lot of people say, well, the Fed tried to raise inflation and couldn't do it. Are you trying to raise inflation when you raise rates eight times and cut the balance sheet by half a trillion dollars when inflation's only at 2%, 20% of the time, which was the 2017-2018 uh, rate hiking and monetary tightening environment. So the Fed has a tremendous amount of credibility in keeping inflation low, but not in raising inflation to or above its target. And now we're dealing with limited ammunition. And if you go back to Fed, New York Fed President John Williams' speech of you know a, a year or so ago, in an environment where you're in the vicinity of the zero lower bound, preserving ammunition is exactly what you don't do. That's a way to fail. You want to move sooner and much more aggressively, uh, or your actions may be totally inadequate. And to your point, if they do move now, if it's 25 basis points, you may not see a big uh, recovery in inflation expectations, but it's certainly better than, than doing nothing in which you know these expectations could continue to roll over. Recession risks are elevated. They were still elevated coming into the year, and now they've they've moved up even more. So I'm afraid when I listen to a lot of other yeah. commentators, they're just simply missing the boat on this, telling, you know, the Fed not to not to act, not to panic. No, in this environment, you actually move aggressively and sooner rather than later. Hey, Mike, great to catch up with you. Mike Data of MKM Partners. Let's get the view on the street, shall we? Steve Whiting joining us on the phone. City Private Bank Global Chief Investment Strategist. Steve, fantastic to have you with us. Walk me through your message for clients on a morning like this morning. What do you tell them? Well, look, I think it's just getting through the initial message that the success that China seemed to have in slowing down the coronavirus gave a false impression that this could be contained to a regional event. So what we learned over the weekend with, for example, just the start of this, Italy and Korea, but going from a very small number of infections uh, to something that was more in line with virologists had thought, that this was not going to be uh, containable, 
right that there would be um, widespread, if not infections, but, but certainly exposure to the virus, that that changed this from a regional story to a global one. And so, therefore, some of the economic effects, the disruption effects that we've seen in China, which have been very severe, um, but some of that that we would see in other parts of the world. So that's the thing. This is a much larger than simply regional uh, disruption effect, but it's yeah. going to be something that's much more widespread, and that's going to mean greater uncertainty about the economic outlook and uh, greater depressing effects uh, in economies, um, you know, just trying to avoid uh, the, the dispersion of the virus. Steve, walk so us that's through. That's for the economy. So our outlook has changed from the economy uh, and uh, what we would think, you know, earnings do, what, you know, activity in the economy does, and uh, therefore what uh, financial assets would do here for a while. So, Steve, walk us through that, the idea of the economic effect and how you price that in and how you measure that against the market effect where there seems to be fear being baked in that does not seem to be abating this morning. So figuring out exactly how to measure this is not something that's going to be to be easily done. I mean, we're just going to assume that travel, transport, uh, that those industries will see double-digit declines uh, in, in very similar to what you might see in a severe recession. But this much more um, very deliberate, um, that this is like having, you could almost say like a national strike effect, a great big industrial activity or natural disaster, that that's probably going to happen um, a bit over time and in region by region, country by country in a predict unpredictable way. What I heard you talking about earlier about what economic data points you can look at, and honestly, very little data outside of perhaps some of China's data, but, but this is much more than a China story. Um, very little data is going to reflect any of this yet. I think some of the consumable commodities um, are the things that you're going to say that, look, we have to use this or it will, it will show up in storage. Those types of uh, commodities will be useful at tracking real-time activity. Steve, how would you respond if the Fed started to signal they'd make a move in March? So far, little signal of that whatsoever. I'm just interested in trying to get my head around how investors would respond to a central bank willing to step back in, because so far, seen little signal, little sign of that coming from the ECB or the Federal Reserve. How would you respond to that, Steve? Positively? So they're not in an, an easy place, and, and clearly they would be correct to say that a monetary policy response, uh, which has long lags in terms of its impact on the economy, um, is uh, not something that's going to sort of cure a disease. At the same time, what you have to think about is what if they don't move? And um, if the Federal Reserve or other central banks would stand in the way of a market adjustment, right? Um, and keep policy rates higher than the market is looking for, then they create an artificial tightening. Um, and, you know, what we have to think about, and if you want people to look over the valley, um, it's that, yes, if the Federal Reserve eases, it probably will be easier too long. It's not going to tighten uh, when, the, when the impact of the coronavirus is over. But in a way, we need that. Um, we just simply say, well, let's suspend the Fed funds rate for a while um, and lower borrowing costs. And on the way out of this, yeah. it certainly doesn't stand in the way of uh, an adjustment in financial conditions that's, that's less severe than it would otherwise would be. Stephen Whiting, when you look at your expertise, which is linking profits in, into markets, 
market performance and into economics as well. What I find fascinating is what portion of this slowdown in revenue, revenue growth, earnings, flat earnings, negative earnings, whatever it is, what portion of that will be recoverable down the road? Have you and Citigroup done any work on that? Yes, and and it's it would tend to be a large part of it, and exactly when is not clear. Um, but again, if you are so, so a couple of things need to happen now. Some of the tail risks that you can talk about again have increased. That credit would negatively affect the economy, even in a scenario in which the coronavirus dissipates. But that is what central banks should want to avoid. And that's why fiscal policymakers need, um, you know, disaster relief, right? That's the kind of thing that happens in a great big natural disaster. Um, You need fiscal easing to address weak creditors. I think China will do that, for example, very easily. I think that other uh, authorities should be considering that when the time comes. I think that they will. And if you do that, then you don't really damage economic potential, this longer-term ability to recover. And, uh, you know, again, we, you know, ideally um, there's some break in this virus and then people have short memories and suddenly they go back to travel, purchasing things that they would otherwise, uh, and economic activity can normalize pretty fast. Hey, Steve, always great to get your thoughts. Steve Whiting there, City Private Bank Global Chief Investment Strategist. Let's bring in Eric Nilsson, shall we? Unicredit Group Chief Economist, typically constructive. We usually drain the drama and the hyperbole from the conversation with Eric, and I look forward to doing that now. Eric, March 12th, the ECB convenes. What is the House view on that meeting as things stand from your perspective? Well, good morning. Yeah, I I, I don't think they're going to do anything. Uh, uh, Christine Lagarde said, according to the Financial Times, that uh, that so far they haven't seen any things that would have sort of a material longer-term impact. Uh, now, it's not on their website as far as I can see, so I'm not sure there's been a big discussion inside the ECB. But, but I, 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 it's clear that Europe is going to take a serious hit on growth in the first quarter. But there's a big question what a central bank can do and what uh, the ECB should do at this early. So my guess is that we will get some, some wording on being nervous or watching it carefully, but, but no action. Who should follow up, Eric? What kind of policy levers do you need to pull it in an environment like the one we're going into? Well, that's a very good question. Number one, uh, if it's a supply shock, which it is predominantly, uh, there's really not much you can do. If you are, for, for reason of the virus shutting down movie theaters, you can put any amount of money or, or credit to people. They will not go to the movie theater, period, right? So, it's, so if it's a supply shock, there is not much you can do apart from providing liquidity to companies so they don't go bust. If that takes too long, it turns into bad loans. Yeah. Big problem, potentially, particularly in China. China. But there's also a, there is also a demand side, particularly in Europe, where a lot of, 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 of restrained traveling now is starting to come into place. And some of that travel may take place, may, if you had more money on your hand. I cannot doubt it. So this comes down to potentially supporting the market a bit. And there it is balance sheet expansion rather than interest rates you need to use. Um, but we are not there yet. Eric, what's the likelihood of a global recession from here? 
I wouldn't put a percentage on, but it's, if you if you recall it technically, if you will, then it's, I think it's very high now uh, because China is going to take a big hit in the first quarter. Also, our very sort of preliminary guess is that you are seeing something like a, a growth rate of maybe half of what you had coming out of last year, so maybe three. That's a sequential five percent drop or thereabout. Then that automatically feeds into Europe with a, a bit of a negative number, small, but so, mm-hmm. and then you have the European affected itself and and the u.s also i mean right. may i say here from europe one one word on, on the u.s yes q4 looked good but it was all this net export effect right that completely right right the number so the u.s is a lot weaker than people realize so so yes high probability now that's a really important observation on the dynamics of exports and imports eric nielsen one thing we've uh, missed this week or talked less about with the market news and of course things front and center is the effect on em unicredit has a real eastern europe and southern europe feel as well i've got turkish lira out to new weakness 6.23 brazilian relic etc what are the knock-on effects of this pandemic and the knock-on effects of the big economies onto the lesser or smaller economies? Well, it's a good question, Tom, and, and, it, and it's significant, right? I mean, and, the, and here's the problem we're facing. It is, it's two effects. We are shutting down businesses in the, in the big or the G7 economies and China, and that, by definition, has this spill-through effect. And then there is the financial markets effect, which is, it comes with this move to safer assets. We saw euro dollar now is coming back a little bit again, but we have seen, generally speaking, risk aversion coming on. Look at high yield credit, for example. And that hits the emerging markets, as, for example, you also pointed out. So this, this would be an accelerator out there, unfortunately. Eric, great to get your views, as always. Eric Nielsen there, Unigridic Group, <laughs> Chief Economist, calling Tom potentially right. for a technical recession. This is the interview of the day if you need a synthesis of what's going on. And I will advise you that if you need a reason to sign up for LinkedIn, it is James Bianco of Bianco Research LLC. What's the LLC man? It's like only fancy people do that. The people that go to Wrigley Field do that. (laughs) Jim Bianco with us right now. His feed on LinkedIn is a must read for Global uh, Wall Street. And of course, it's good research as well. Um, I just did the mathematics, Jim, which I usually don't do. An 18% down bear markets, 24,200. A 20% bear market markets uh, 23,600. Are we going to get there? Are we going to a bear market? You'd almost have to say that we are, and I wouldn't even be surprised if we were to see it in the next day or two at the rate that this market seems to be plunging right now. Uh, I think what we need to understand is that, first of all, if the market made a mistake or is making a mistake, it was after it sold off in early in late January on the in the original coronavirus fears, it rallied to new highs by uh, February 19th. That was the mistake. So it has to correct that, and it has to now price in a new era. I think I'm with Scott Minard. This might be a bigger deal than the financial crisis. Wow. This is a change in the way that the global economy is going to work. There was a serious break that just happened. We're not going back to the way we used to work pre-January with the global economy. Okay, but we get viruses end, Jim. Yes, but not the attitude that it will bring won't end. We're going to deglobalize. We're going to change things. We are not going to have a collapse. We're not going to have a Great Depression. Let me put it to you in market terms. 
the S&P was trading at a forward rate P.E. ratio of 20 before this virus hit. It's going to trade at a 10 to 15 P.E. ratio coming out of it. It's not going back to that heady 20 growth and that optimism that we're going to have this booming global economy like we had before. We're going to deglobalize. That's going to mean to pull big things back from China. That's going to mean more inflation. That's going to be more friction in business. Oh, That's come on. what the market Pres- is pricing Jim, in right Jim, President Sanders is going to come in. He's going to eliminate the tariffs like first day he's in office. You know, things that we can't predict are going to happen. And I'm not saying we go to a 20 multiple or 12 multiple. That's not my job. But I am going to say on a medical basis, there's an ample history that viruses end. And you're saying we can't go back? No, I'm saying we can't go back to a 20 PE, sky's the limit, um, global economy. That's where we were. I'm saying we're going to go back to a little bit more circumspect 15 PE, maybe a 12 PE, if you will, economy. That's enough to knock down the stock market 20%. Not 80%, not a Great Depression, but we're going to take the starch out of this market right now. That's what you're seeing the market do, an immediate repricing. Markets don't explain they don't complain. They say, oh, I got it wrong. New era. Let's just reprice the new era. That's exactly what we're seeing happen in the market right now. Now, there's a possibility it's getting it wrong. And getting it wrong means China comes back 100%, and we go back by this summer to thinking, how do we continue to close every job in the United States that we can and send it to China? If we go back to that attitude which is lower cost, faster growth, we'll get back to the highs. But I think what we're seeing in the market saying, we're not going back to that attitude. This is a new era that we're going into. Not a disastrous era, but a new era of slower growth, a more circumspect kind of world. Hey, Jim, can you give us a sense of the, of the delta you're thinking about? Because, you know, we were already thinking about a lower growth for longer in terms of global GDP and, you know, 1% to 2% kind of what do you think the new era might be post-crisis? Well, I think that there's two steps with it. First of all, we have to get through the crisis. The immediate thing that's going to happen in the next two weeks or so, we will find out if this virus does start to spread widely in the United States. That is a palpable fear. And we see widespread school closures and business closures like we've seen in other countries. If that happens, we could see an immediate contraction of GDP in the second quarter. Now, if, and if that does happen, coming out of that, you're going to get right. attitudes a lot more conservative than you would if we don't see that. So I do think you're going to get yeah. conservative attitudes, but they could be a lot worse if we have to go through what, say, Japan yeah. is going through or South Korea is going through right now. Jim Bianco with us, Bianco Research. Let me do a data check here quickly. We're negative 600 plus on the uh, Dow, now negative 450. Uh, trading here, we are open for business, 25,351 on the Dow, SPX 2929, decisively below that uh, 3,000 level. The VIX went out 47, I believe it was, 41.16 now on the VIX. The action was in the two-year yield down to a 0.91 handle. Again, we've had a bounce here in the last number of minutes. Uh, and uh, I'll mention oil, 45.33. Jim Bianco, you show this on LinkedIn today within your good research. 
which has been our theme of the morning, which is gaming Fed prospects. Nariana Kachalakota of Minnesota and Rochester and Michael Darda, MKM Partners, and Bob Michael, J.P. Morgan say enough The Fed has to act because even if they stay pat with disinflation, they're tightening in an indirect manner. Do you agree that the Fed needs to get out front of this? Yeah, I think they need to get out front of this in in one of two ways. That their talk of we have to wait to see the data, uh, Jim Bullard's speech that was released a little while ago, he's the dove, I'm not ready to move just yet. Smacks of them hiding under their desk in shell shock. And they need to recognize what the markets think and that there is something significant that's happening in terms of the attitudes of the global economy and the U.S. economy and start to at least acknowledge that. They don't have to move today, but I think that they need to at least acknowledge that something significant is going on. And eventually, yes, I'm with them, that if this economy pulls back, the act of doing nothing is a tightening, and that they will have to think about moving down with the economy in kind. Yeah, I want to bring this up, Paul. It's amazing how I miss this stuff. You know, I'm supposed to be all wired up. You know, I've got four (laughs) logins, and the Upper East Side dims out when I come in in the morning. But I miss this. And thank you to Ian Shepardson, Freya Bamish, and all at Pantheon. They mentioned the Bloomberg Financial Conditions Index. I call it the Michael Rosenberg Index, which was many standard deviations ugly in 2008. We're nowhere near that. But we've really come in from a positive, benign financial conditions. We're now down one standard deviation. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's, it's starting it's, to seep into the data. It's just migrating end of week towards a point of oh, really, Jim? Do you think the federal? Do you think there needs to be some type of fiscal stimulus on the part of the U.S. government if this gets? Uh, you know, more widespread in the U.S. And again, we have, it's been very limited in the U.S. to date, this virus, but to the extent that we see similar migrations that we've seen in some other countries, do you think fiscal stimulus may be needed by the government? Well, they'll do it. I mean, there's no doubt that they will attempt to do it. And especially if it, if it migrates into this country, the fiscal stimulus might just be combating with the virus itself and what they'll, um, uh, what they'll have to spend, at least in terms of testing and identification and trying to mitigate the slowdown in the economy and the like. So, yeah, yeah, I think they will. Now, the question is, will it be effective? Because what you've got going on now is an immediate supply shock that could also turn into a demand shock if the virus comes to the United States. I don't think we've ever seen both at the same time to this degree, which is what the risk is that we face. Jim, thank you so much. Jim Bianco. And again, folks, I can't say enough. First thing you sign up for on LinkedIn after Paul Sweeney's glorious site is Jim Bianco. It's just really <laughs> extraordinary uh, out on LinkedIn with Bianco Research LLC uh, as well. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.